Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Gibran says that the challenge of leadership is to be strong, but not rude, be kind, but not weak. Be bold, but not bully. Be thoughtful, but not lazy. Be humble, but not timid. Be proud, but not arrogant. Have humor, but without folly. There are very few individuals that I have observed that carry these contradictions with grace and wisdom. Lerato Mulebatsi is a person that epitomizes that power, doesn't have to be loud or showy. Her character, her mind, and heart are what keep you in her life over the long term. Lerata is my guest today for this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. Lerata is a former managing director of General Electric South Africa. She has over 25 years of experience in diverse sectors such as the financial services, mining, government, nonprofit, and professional services. She has several non-executive board roles, including on the South African Reserve Bank as the lead independent director and the chair of NETCOM, and a non-executive on the Spur Corporation, amongst others. Thank you, Rivata, for your time. So you were born in Soweto, right. South Africa. Uh, what was your childhood like? Do you have siblings? How did you spend your days? I am the eldest of four girls. Grew up in Soweto, went to school there. So in um, I'm at an art and art and it was a it was a very ordinary and yet extraordinary experience growing up in Soweto. Multicultural, um, multilingual. Um, so my love for languages and my love for books and reading came out of, of that community. Um, so I, and I say it was extraordinary because, because of my love for books, I met with people like Harry Mashabela, who was um, a well-known journalist in the 70s um, and I think probably the 60s as well, um, Eskiam Pashele. Ah. So both... Uncle Harry and Uncle Ziki, yes. They they took me on as a 13-year-old, and I used to go to Funda Center with them where they were teaching postgraduate um, classes um, for students of history and English um, in Funda Center in Deep Kloof. So from the age of 13, I mean, my, my world was open about the continent, and I guess my understanding and love as a Pan-Africanist um, came from this. So it was extraordinary in that sense, um, where I learned about debate and debating. I learned about colonialism and colonization and learned about apartheid in its fullest. And so, yeah, it was extraordinary. And yet it was also a very ordinary um, upbringing in that sense. Intellectual too, eh? Absolutely. Um, and 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 as I say, you know, it's it's both luck, um, but I think it's Oprah who says luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. My love for books um, got me into 
into that realm, um, if you like. Um, And then, you know, I really became tuned into the world around me um, at that time. Because Eskim Pashene was my father's matric teacher. Oh, wow. Hi. Oh, wow. So that also got me into loving literature. And books and readings. And uh, Second Avenue was one of my favorite ones growing up. Yeah. Um, so what do you think your unique value proposition is? Uh, if you were not here tomorrow, what will we miss about you? I think that my value proposition lies in the fact that I embrace, um, I would say, many cultures um, and many different things about about people. So I... Because of my love for reading and my love for books and my love for people specifically, I think I learned very early in life that people are not just one thing, right? Um, people are good, very good, but people are also bad, Yep, you know, and they can be very bad. So one thing can be true of many people. Um, and so I have amassed a lot of people in my life because I take people just as they come. Yeah. So, and I think that's, that is my unique value proposition. In that embrace it. I just embrace um, people. And also compassion. I, I, I do have the ability to put myself in other people's shoes um, and try and feel and understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Without naming names, I asked an individual about you where they had a very negative experience in a particular corporate, which we will not name. Right. And she said, out of all the leaders, that's the only one I really have respect for. Because she says, I mean, as even a South African, I have much respect for what she stands for. I wouldn't, I don't know if she had said something else, would I have cancelled it? Maybe this would have been my uh, Damascus moment, my moment. So that was really, you know, because she was really hurt in this organization. So she's just like, that is one leader I have respect for. Thank you. What is the best advice you've ever received? What did it say from whom? Sure. The best advice I've ever been given was from my grandmother, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, not profound and yet extremely profound. She said to me, um, just as I was starting uh, in my career, she said to me, you must just realize one thing, that in life, you will, we will never all be the same. And so there'll always be someone who's smarter than you, who is prettier than you, who is wiser than you are thinner than because you know so there'll always be more and that the one thing that will be abiding for you going into into the future is for you to remain true to yourself and be your authentic self because you can't be anybody else um so choose you um at any given time and i and i i took that uh for what it it truly is just advice about remaining true to yourself Because, gosh, trying to keep up with everybody and everything can get whiplash. Absolutely. Um, But also then, who are you, right? If if you're going to try and embrace everybody else and try and bring in 
and not that we can't learn from others, by the way, um, but that those learnings should be also about uh, enhancing. Yeah, but also you have so. rooted, you have a root, and you can take on. But when something is not true to you, you reject it. Exactly. But what enhances you, you can receive. Absolutely. So I Absolutely. totally believe in that. What was the greatest wisdom you learned from leading people during your time as Managing Director of General Electric South Africa? GE, for those that don't know. Some people have never heard the complete name. (laughs) General Electric? Really? Yeah. Oh, you'll be surprised. Because we do acronyms so much that it's just GE. And if you say, what does GE stand for? We're like, I don't know. I'd say it's it's the... it's be the opposite in the U.S., for example. Ah, because they'll love the other. Yes. But, you know, we're an acronym country. So we are an <laughs> so, so GE for me was a, a big learning um, from, a, from a leadership perspective. Firstly, um, it was leading in a multinational. Secondly, it was leading specifically um, in... South Africa, Southern Africa. Um, But also it spoke to my love for the continent and finding solutions um, for this continent. And the biggest lesson for me was um, in how the various people that came into GE brought with them huge, massive experience, Um, whether it was technical, whether it was leadership skills, whether it was just them bringing in um, the educational experience um, and bringing all of that together and allowing people to bring their fullness into the workspace. So what I have seen is that um, in very technical environments, we tend to only allow for people to be technical, but people are more than just technical. So if if you're bringing a an engineering solution without having a social context, what are you doing, right? What is it solving for? So um, my biggest thing about being at GE at that time was how our social or health problems or energy challenges um, came to the fore and were brought in by people that brought very many different things and allowing them the space to do that. Um, because the tendency is to micromanage, um, chase the elusive rent, um, you know, and then forget that actually people can bring in real solutions for this continent and this country in a way that is far more than just a technology solution, yeah. but a solution that's going to to assist humanity. Yeah. And I saw that in the healthcare I saw that in the energy uh, sector um, and at how we were solving for example, the ESCOM challenges or the real challenges. But when you solve the real challenges, you're solving the problem of how people get to work, how quickly they get to work, um, how affordable it becomes for them to get to work, or how easy we bring in goods and services um, to people um, or across our borders in a way that is sustainable, um, in a way that is reasonable and actually makes this economy function. You actually, as you're talking now, I'm like thinking, so why is it that we find it so difficult to 
measure social impact. I mean, our balance sheets, really, it should be so easy. Exactly. Those solutions, you can actually trace back and say, hey, this is what I'm solving for, and it's the social impact. So integrated reporting should be like so easy. It should be, but um, I think we left too much of 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 that kind of stuff to accountants. We thought it was an accounting issue. No, it's not. It solves it solves far more than just the rents and cents. It solves real problems. Interesting, which is part of my challenge around audit committees. You don't need CAs only on audit committees. It will enhance. But that's another debate for another day. Another... <laughs> what was the vision you had for your life? Looking at the life you've lived and are still living, what is better than you imagined? <laughs> and what has fallen short in the life you have lived so far of your young aspirations? That's a very difficult question. It's difficult because um, I don't think I'm a particularly reflective person. I don't sit and measure and plan in that way. I am a believer in how we solve for problems. So growing up, I was an activist. You know, um, there was a problem to be solved with um, keeping in people in sports, for example, separate. So when I was at university and we had to play Stellenbosch, or we wanted to play with Stellenbosch, it was why loud. You can't. I mean, when, what is that? Sport is sport. And so I got involved in in areas in my life where I thought I could effect change um, for the better. Um, so. I was always a political and a social activist um, in order to bring in that change. So I never really saw my life as um, me being a leader or uh, me leading in a particular way. And so, you know, what then did I not achieve? Um, so things fall into, fell into my lap. Um, because I had already done something about a particular issue. So I can't say that I had a dream of becoming a particular anything and then that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so officially this year I launched my Busara leadership uh, mentoring journey and part of uh, the conversations that some of m the mentees and I are having is the frustration where it's like, oh, this is what I wanted my life to be and it's not there yet. I'm like, yeah, sometimes you just need to be open. Exactly. You kind of, as you say, you're living life, you're seeing your impact and just solve that. And allow that to grow organically. Um, and opportunities will come. Absolutely. Absolutely. I studied um, psychology at university, but I was also interested in in agricultural and land reform. So you did a qualification of that, yeah? You know, it had absolutely nothing to do with a psychology degree, but all of it um, has helped in shaping the positions that I've held previously. And hopefully the other things that I'm going to do in my next career, because I believe that I am going to have another career. Yeah. Um, it's it's not going to be static. 
I I I do think that um, in true form, I am a I'm both a subject and a product of everything else that has happened in my life. Um, and COVID, for example, has taught me so much about that. You know, is this what I'm going to be for the rest of my life? I don't think so. I think I'm going to pivot into into other things because I've learned new skills. Um, I've engaged with people like you uh, who love leadership, who love training, um, and know what the impact of that can be to society. So, yeah, I'm interested in very many things. We just never know. We'll just be open. What is the one decision you wish you had never made in life and why? <laughs> um, you know, I'm not about regrets. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, I really am not about regrets. I just, I just, the one thing I do regret though is not being alive to how there are so many possibilities in life. Right. Um, I started off by saying to you that, I mean, I've, I've always loved reading. So my love for reading in my childhood took me to many different places, helped me play many different roles through the characters and the books that I read. Um, but I don't think that I applied it fully in my own life um, to see that, for example, it was possible for me to leave university and say that I'm going to go to Iceland and live there for four years. Gap year or whatever. And learn something, right? Um, so I think I, I kind of just got stuck in the everyday doing and very little planning. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that would be that would be the only thing. But, but you're making up for it because your life because is like, wow. Life always offers you an opportunity to pivot, to say, oh, okay, I didn't do that then. Why can't I do it now or today? Yeah. Um, and I'm also loving the fact that I surround myself with young people. My children's friends have become my children. My friends' children are my children too. And I learn so much from them. Um, but I've also learned that I'm not my age, I'm not my weight, you know, so, so the, I've learned that the limitations that we put on ourselves are squarely in the definitions that we put around who we are. Yeah. Which also define our experiences, which limit our lives. Oh, yeah. What trait do you admire most in others that you do not have? And why do you admire that particular trait? Courage. Which I find <laughs> in you sort of now expand. I think I think courage. I think that if I had taken more risks um and was willing to to take a lot more risks, I would do so much more. So I worry, for example, about taking on projects because oh, where am I gonna find the time to do it? Or do I really have the capacity um, to handle this type of project? Um, we want to find the people who are going to help me do it. Um, so I take too long, I think, to, to make decisions. Um, whereas I think other people are a lot more courageous. They just like go in and they 
they do it and they'll figure it out as, as, they, go, yeah. as they go along. So I'm not that person who's going to figure it out as I go along. I think it's also a function of being in the corporate sector for too long because you have all of these things that cushion you. Mm. Um, so very true that you reflected on that. For somebody who doesn't reflect. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. No, because people actually undermine how um, established a lot of things are. That it, you just, you, you go and you fit and it's there. Unlike when you have to develop things on your own. There is no blueprint. You just like figure it out. You figure it out. Yeah. So I think that was it. And I also did not have, in my younger years, I did not have the courage to just jump out of corporate and go and do it. Right. Um, and again, it's the cushioning that the corporate sector gives you. Um, that the processes are already there. The systems are already in place. Uh, all you have to do is come up with your own little strategy and plan and ex- execute within the confines of these things that um, already exist in, in in a corporate environment. So, Which is interesting because my personality was not that. I was lucky that my first career allowed that personality of no blueprint. <laughs> so mm-hmm. just, and I wasn't told that, oh, you're an account executive. You're not allowed to has strategic conversation, you know the lot. So I did not know what I was not allowed to do. <laughs> well done. So you just jumped in. Yeah. So, and, and and it was good that I was embraced by leaders who were like, okay, I want to hear what you want. And that's, a, and that's an important thing in, 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 in corporates. It really is about the people that give you support and, and give you a... Um, they hold out their hands like this for you to step on. Yeah. And, um, and I, I remember my CEO said, we usually fire people who do this. <laughs> Whatever I had done. Yeah. And I was like... Oh, yeah. so you were that person who just did it and then apologized uh, later. Yeah, because I understood in the... I was saving an account. And mm-hmm. you won't understand... In um, I'm just thinking of Catherine Timber now because I, I wrote a letter to him without my CEO knowing, saying, if I am part of this organization, there's no way we did that. So if it comes from me, and I couldn't go to the CEO and say, this is the letter I'm not right. So, um, and uh, yes, I didn't ask for his permission. So when Mr. Mtembu saw it, it's like, Dudu is here. So if it comes from her, I trust her word. Um, Anyway, um, what is the most perfect day for you? What is happening in that day? Mm. It's a Sunday. Uh-huh. It's sunny. Uh, my daughter has come home to cook and all we are bright. Uh-huh. And, and my son is there with his friends, my daughter with her friends, my friends with their children. And there is lots of conversations that are taking place um, at home, um, whether the the conversations about the LGBTQI+, or whether the conversations are about the state of South Africa today, or the conversations are about health or mental health. But there are conversations and there's laughter and there's just... And, and, and for me, that's... Um, the perfect sound yeah. is the sound of children, people laughing, mm. talking. 
I see those moments in your social media. Yeah, you do capture. Them. It's 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 the best thing for me. Yeah, it 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 really is. And one thing that South Africans have not lost is the ability to laugh, and even laugh at ourselves and our situation, but also the ability to really delve into the things that make a society at a dis-ease. Um, and we're able to talk about them in a very frank um, and cold way almost, you know. Um, and the things that we are not, that we should be, we're able to, to talk about them. So I, I, absolutely, I absolutely love that. I, I do think, though, that uh, the things that we need to move towards is now really bringing solutions. Yeah. Talk is cheap. And also not being the worst PR agents for our own country. Oh, yes. yes. We are not really good at that. We are actually the worst um, at that. I mean, somebody was saying to me that one of the things that Australians hate the most are the South Africans, mm. right? Because they're already there. And they're still complaining, complaining to justify why they're there. To justify why they're there, um, I get that report as well from my. <laughs> instead of in, instead of embracing a new country with new ways of, of of doing things, but I guess it's also the fact that I mean people don't leave because they really want to, but because they feel hard pressed um, to do it because they can't cope. Yeah, yeah. I always say I have no choice. Doesn't matter which continent. If I'm outside of this continent, I'll never be home. So you'll know I'm not from there. Yeah. So I, I know where to run. Yeah. So we've got to fix this. Yeah. So um and it will be difficult for me to sing to another flag. It will be just really <laughs> difficult. Have you ever found yourself suppressing a huge part of your personality and character to receive prestige or retain relationships? What part did you suppress? And how do you find the confidence to change this behavior? And what were the repercussions of your decision? Like I say, you know, I had a very ordinary life, but I was also raised by very extraordinary women. Um, my grandmother being... The matriarch for real. The matriarch for real, right? Um, and one of the things that um, she taught me and taught me and my my siblings and and cousins was that you've got to stand for something. You know, um, if you don't stand for something, you will then stand for you will stand for anything. And um, so, decisions that I have taken in in my life. Some of them have been extremely hard, uh, even hard for me um, personally. Um, some of them have also come at a great personal cost. Um, but um, it has always been because I've lived by my convictions. Um, so, yeah, I can't think of, I can't think of myself you know, not doing something that I know is the correct thing to do because I'm saving myself. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, you are divorced. Yes. What wisdom have you learned from that experience? 
you can't postpone your happiness. That's the wisdom that I've learned from it. Um, and that you you grow from you grow from the things that either hurt you or don't sit well with you. Um, because if you stay in a dysfunctional relationship, and it could be a friendship also, by the way, or a, fam or a family situation where it's dysfunctional for you um, or toxic for you, if you if you stay, well, it's also that's also a choice. Remember, yeah. Um, and you're going to be unhappy. Um, and stay in that in that unhappiness and stay in that toxicity. So, so for me, the divorce was really about saying we're not finding each other. Um, I am just going to take my children and my future in my hands um, and move on. Um, and I guess it's 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 not easy. Nobody gets married to divorce, um, but also not choosing yourself and choosing happiness um, as a you you do yourself a huge disservice. Yeah. 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 So for me that's that that was the biggest lesson that you always have to honor your your feelings and yeah. yourself. You said in the past that former CEO Johan Fenzel had the biggest influence in your career. Oh. So remember I said to you that the one one of the things that I wish I'd learned was courage. Mm-hmm. I think that's what that's what I learned from him that um I don't have to come to him with a perfect solution right I must bring to him what I think is my way of solving problems but also a big part of what I learned from him uh from a leadership perspective is to leave people alone leave people to do what you have brought them into the organization to do and trust them to do it. Um, so him and 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 Tembam Vusi specifically, one of us at Sunlam, yeah. Yeah, at Sunlam, um, really left me to do what needed to be done. So I came in as um to look after Ubuntu Butu, which is um Sunlam's uh, BE partner. Um so Patrice Mozebe um, you know, did the BE transaction with um with Sunlam. And they really left me to to do what needed to be done. And I I think the biggest lesson from him was the fact that he came from academia. Started Gibbs. Um worked as a consultant for the World Bank and worked in huge projects, water projects like the Katadem project in Lesotho. Um, and led um, the insurance sector in a way that really transformed the sector. Um, Sunlam was the first uh, financial services company to do a BE transaction. And, you know, the argument from a lot of people was, I mean, there are so many um, insurance companies and banks and all of it, and everyone saw or perceived Sunlam is the last bastion of Africana, you know, and they were the bravest, and they were they they were brave, and they 
they took the right decision and the right steps. Because um, they do love the country. Absolutely. Afrikaners love the country. To transform. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he, for me, he stands shoulder to shoulder with some of the biggest um, uh, leaders in business yeah. globally. It is interesting that you say that, of course, I was a Sachi and Sachi. Also the first to do a BE transaction, Yuri Sneiman and Henry de Kock. Africano, because they saw the future and they were not scared of the future because it's like, but also they have their breath. Yeah. They have no other place to go. Well, that's, that, that's what it, I think is um, ad- admirable about Africanos. True. Um, is Raymond Ackerman still the businessman who has impressed you most? Why? I think he's one of yeah, um, and and my 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 why I was impressed and I still am impressed by Raymond Ackerman is just how he took a simple idea in retail and built one of the most formidable um, retail companies, um, not just in South Africa but but in the world, uh, and built a brand that is so South African mm. um, and yet so also so global in how things are done yes. um, from a retail perspective. So I was impressed by the fact that, you know, he went out and he looked at solutions from the UK, from Australia, and he brought those in and made them uniquely pick and pay in South Africa. South African, yeah. Right. Um, but also just fighting for the diversity of his staff. Absolutely. It's a fervent kind of saying, go and do what you need to do anyway. You know? Yeah. And I also love the fact that when he, when, he, when he looked at the retail sector, there was very little commitment to service, right? And he took the... the um, uh, what is that? Uh, right, the customers, customer service from the US, from um, oh that yeah yes the yeah, yeah. four table four legs of the table kind of concept. No 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 no, gosh. What the <laughs> self enlightenment? What um, I will remember. Yeah, yeah self enlightenment theory. But customer screen but, was but, the thing. But 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 the, the 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 customer experience thing for me was um, a first, for example, mm. in. In South Africa, and and obviously other retailers cottoned onto it. Mm. He was a pioneer. He was yeah. he was very pioneering. There was a time I was quite obsessed with Vicky and case study as well. Yeah. So over time, I've evolved, <laughs> but I still love the brand. Um, almost in closing, but I need to ask you this: uh, Things Fall Apart, also one of my favorite books. Chino de Chibi. Uh, what makes this book your favorite book of all time? Oh, because it addresses so many issues. So, so for me, I think I think it was it's, it's pure genius. Mm. Uh, it was his debut um, novel. Yeah, novel. Well, yeah, written. In you almost think it's nonfiction. The what? way it's the way it's written. written. Oh, yeah, it is beautifully written. <laughs> Um, wrote it in 1958, who would have thought? Um, but also the themes in the book are just 
amazing, you know, uh, masculinity, colonialism, yeah. um, culture. Yeah. Um, you know, he talks about the the evil culture. He talks about. Didn't you just fall in love with the evil people from? The oh yes, yes. No, I fell in love with Nigeria. Nigeria, uh, generally, just yeah. Reading things fall apart. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 yeah. And 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 the protagonist, what was it? Ogongo, um, in the book. And I, I still think that you know that uh, the line in, in things fall apart. Things fall apart. The center cannot oh. hold. That is timeless. That's timeless. Absolutely. And we are living those things, aren't we? Things falling apart where the center's not holding. Yep. Oh, boy. Um, oh, it was that management. I was just looking at the Roman Echo. It was the management philosophy of four-legged table. That's what I was thinking about. Uh, uh, but you were thinking about that customer-centric uh, view. If you uh, and, and he took his stuff to Disneyland. For them to learn about, uh, oh, yeah. remember, but so, their training was amazing. Training I also met the HR training. director. They used to go around. I remember one time he said uh, they went to a little corner shop in Italy, an ice cream corner shop, to learn certain principles. But I mean, that for me was um, he was also a fanzale. Um Was it Frank? He actually infused a lot of the approach I have to leadership development, the experiential learning. Um, he inspired yeah. me to no end. Okay, yeah. um, so in closing, because we could chat forever, you know. Um, what wisdom? Oh, first of all, what's still on your bucket list to do? Oh, so much. Um, I travel, um, and I still have a few destinations um, to do because I absolutely love travel. But the one thing that I need to do for myself is to travel in all 54 countries on this. There are that I want to do. I just don't know if um, it's safe for a female. It's also expensive. Traveling on the continent... Um, can be very expensive because our transport systems don't speak to each other, but I am encouraged yes. by the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Um, and hopefully we are going to get to a time and place on this continent where we prioritize ourselves. You know, and, yeah. instead of going to other countries, people should come and learn from us. Absolutely. That high-speed rail going through all these countries. Sure, oh, my gosh, it will be like ever. Yeah, Cape to Cairo. Oh, my gosh. You know? Somebody, please. <laughs> my diva spirit, <laughs> help. Um, and in closing, what wisdom would you like to leave us with? That nothing lasts forever. That this too shall pass. And it can only pass if every single one of us sees a problem, but also looks for a solution for that problem. We don't have the time or the luxury to be wallowing in self-pity, to be mourning about the state of South Africa. Every single one of us in our own space, in our own little way, can make a difference. And we should. You know what I always feel sad about? 
I know how my dad used to react if um, he said something and I corrected him. You know? Yeah. If he said something, um, he didn't look at it as disrespect. I always say, for all the corruption that goes on in our country, are there no kids that say, Mom, Dad, please don't do that? This is my future. Because the one person that can change is your child. You feel it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just think, are these people not having conversations to say, um, it's great that we have this house, we have this, but potholes, power cuts, blackouts, and then we go to these countries and we think we are all that. But here's the truth also. You can, you can steal everything. But when you start stealing your children's future... Ah, which is why I'm thinking they have the way to change all this. When you, when you steal your children's future, um, it's, it's something that's going to come back to, to bite, not you but your future generations. So it is crucial, it is absolutely crucial that each and every single one of us, and we must teach this to our children, we must talk about it. We must have social messaging, you know, to do. We we grew up in an era where we knew that um, you brush your teeth in a circular way. There was, there was all of that say, uh, social messaging. Chew um, 32 times. My mother literally used to teach us to chew and, and 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 you do it and you do it in the morning and you do it before you go to bed. Um, we we were taught not to litter. You know, pick up after you pick it up. Was it Yes. So so all of that social messaging also needs to. God, it's it is no longer existing. Yeah. So we need to bring all of that in, and you need to do your training, because I'm with you on the training. Yeah. If we don't, if we're sitting on a ticking time bomb with our youth, um, if we don't train for not just the current challenges that we have, but even for future challenges yeah. that we might have, uh, we're not going to have much of a country. So, But I am enthused um, and I'm excited about some young people that I've come across. Um, and men and women like you and I who, who say it can be done and people who do what you do have a podcast um, and have these important... So we need all channels to, to get information out there. And these courageous conversations is what is needed. Yeah. yeah. Hey, my friend, thank you very much. Thank you. What a privilege. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hell, there we are, folks. Hope you have enjoyed this episode with this South African powerhouse and that you are inspired by our conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.